Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Evening. Nice to be with you all here. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. I come to you from not too far away, out in the western part of the state. As some of you may know, we're establishing a sustainable spiritual community there. Um, we have about 100 acres or so in the Asheville area. And um, so, not too far for me to visit here, and it's not too far for you to visit there. If you should, li- should like, uh, you're all invited to a work in progress there. Um, and to reach back further, I'm coming from California, where we have a similar sustainable community that's completed and and um, we also have one in, in Central America mm. and uh, so again it's nice to be here I've spoken in this town a number of times at Bhakti Rasa's house some of you may have visited there on occasion she used to get a nice uh, crowd in her home which she's now selling to move out with me into the <laughs> western part of the state. Um, so, for those of you who I've met before, nice to see you again. And for those of you whom uh, I'm meeting with for the first time, I look forward to uh, tonight's uh, interaction. I was asked, I'm told, about a few minutes ago to speak on a topic um, concerning the uh, implications, the the large, huge implications of two small letters that uh, uh, form the word my. It's actually a kind of a a, a slogan I've coined, a phrase I've coined, a a way of explaining an important uh, kind of uh, foundational mm, point to uh, what I would call experiential spiritual life. So I'll, I, I'll elaborate on it, but I, I, I want to do so to some extent on the basis of the Bhagavad Gita. Some of you may be familiar with the Bhagavad Gita, quite a famous text. Um, it's sometimes called the, the, like the Bible of Hinduism, but uh, it's very different than the Bible at, at the same time in that it... Uh, it really largely deals with what I would call experiential spirituality as opposed to uh, religion. Mm-hmm. There may be, and there is certainly a religious orientation to life that largely involves factoring divinity into the here and the now of my everyday life, often with a view to improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, to get more things, even, <laughs> uh, with, with the help of a significant uh, other, the, the divine. Um, and, and then uh, there is, as I say, what I would call experiential spirituality. I believe that the religious orientation, which is widespread and appears in different sects from different cultures and so forth, does have at its heart the idea uh, of... of 
experiential spirituality. Uh, and what I mean by that is to move from an orientation towards the divine in which divinity is seen as an assistant in my everyday life, which is the center stage, a shift to which divinity is the center stage. Hmm? And my ordinary life is pretty ordinary, <laughs> no matter how religiously even it may be colored. Hmm? Um, and there's more to me than ourselves, than our, than our humanity. And another way to put that would be that our humanity affords us the opportunity to transcend the limitations of, of the animality of humanity. Hmm? Uh, the call of the wild, if you will, um, which takes the shape in human life, I would say, of the demands not only of the senses, as it does in less complex forms of life, hmm? demands for eating and uh, uh, sleeping and uh, mating and defending and so on and so forth, but the demands of the mind, of course, are quite burdensome in, in human life as, as well and mind in experiential spiritual life is to be mastered, as most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with in, in theory. And, and, and in the context of that, the senses are to be mastered and withdrawn, as I often say, go within or go without, would be a, you know, a statement that characterizes experiential spiritual life as opposed to a religious orientation to life which is, again, for the improvement of my, of my material situation, which can only be improved so much. It, uh, in many ways, it is a limitation upon us, and in many ways, it is a facility uh, to us, if properly understood, to go beyond the limitations that it imposes. Uh, so, the Gita is different in, in many respects, and one important respect from the Bible in that its emphasis is more on experiential spiritual life rather than on religious life and moral um, and ethical uh, laws or, 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 or principles. Hmm? I should say that there are, I think, moral laws and there are moral principles. The moral laws may change. Hmm? The principles remain. The laws are kind of changing with time and circumstance and, and so on and so forth. At one time, it, it might not have been as unethical and immoral to, to chop down a tree uh, than it is today, for example, uh, given the, you know, the, for example, the environmental uh, uh, environment <laughs> that, we, that we find ourselves in. So ethics and morals laws may change, but the principle that we should live a moral and ethically sound life is, while that is the sum and substance of a religious life, it also does somewhat form the basis of an experiential spiritual life. That's why I say religious orientation to life is meant, if it's successful, to foster and lead us to experiential spiritual life. Hmm? And to give an example of what I mean with regard to moral principles, you have, for example, in the yoga discipline of Astanga Yoga, outlined in the sutras of uh, Patanjali, Yoga Sutras, it also is outlined in the sixth chapter of the Gita, you have the idea of yama-niyama, hmm? 
So you, it means this is an ethical basis on which your spiritual practice will successfully uh, arise out of. So the moral orientation, the, 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 the uh, you know, I wouldn't call it politically correct, but the correct way, <laughs> if you will, to live in the world that will foster the pursuit of all that you are, and that being something very extraordinary that transcends the limits of humanity, the limits of the mind and senses, and frees us from their oppression. Hmm? We may not think necessarily or entirely that the mind is, is an oppressor and the senses are, but we'll have to go into that to some extent and reveal them um, uh, for what they are as such, that we might not embrace an enemy as a friend hmm? and uh, see if we can't find a way to turn what is an enemy or acting against us into an, into an assistant to help us. Hmm? So the Gita deals with these kind of things. It's a very beautiful book, and I, uh, forgive me, God, many of you are probably very well versed in it, perhaps even scholars of the text, so um, it's a well-known, well-known book. Then again, hmm? not that easy to understand, hmm? even though it's all about us in many respects. Uh, it's uh, it's about that that we are that has been somewhat obscured, and these the two letters my that form the word my are much of what that uh, is 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 at the heart of the basis of that um, um, obscuring our possibilities, our potentials, and so forth. So with that, I'll turn to the uh, to the first verse of the Gita where this word is mentioned uh, in four letters but two syllables. And uh, it's in the very first verse of the Gita, first chapter of the Gita. Gita, of course, means song, and Bhagavad, Bhagavad Gita means song of, of God. I think God will most... Um, likely be understood, or let us say, talked about. Um, uh, the experience of God will be conveyed, if through words at all, in a limited way, no doubt, but if by any arrangement of words or any type of words, uh, type of speech, by poetry and by song, more likely than let us say, for example, the language of math. Hmm? You know, science and religion, they sometimes at odds with one another. And uh, religion and spirituality even is, is, is often uh, spoken about very poetically, very uh, even take to, uh, conveyed uh, its thought uh, through, through song. And science is very much based on on math and a descriptive language that lends to the idea that we could control the whole show and and um, and conquer and, and in that way uh, uh, survive and uh, be happy as the Lord of all we survey. I know the average scientist wouldn't think of themselves like that, <laughs> and I don't mean to characterize. Uh, uh, all such uh, thoughtful people who have uh, are fascinated by the natural world and uh, 
the extent to which humanity has been able to examine it and uh, find uh, uh, its uh, its basic uh, forces, if you will, and and so on. But this uh, outward going uh, effort, I, I believe, is aimed at the very same thing that the spiritual effort is aimed at, hmm? but um, goes about it in a very different way, by going within and exploring the subjective side of life. Science seeks to explore the objective side of life and won't believe it unless they can see it or something like that, demonstrate it with third-party objectivity and so on and so forth. And of course, uh, consciousness doesn't fit very well into all of that. The whole subjective side of, of, of life is very difficult to measure. Hmm? And one of the simple reasons for that, of course, is it's what does the measuring. So it's difficult for a ruler to measure itself. Hmm? Consciousness does the measuring, does the evaluation, posits the value, hmm? Uh, onto uh, uh, forms and shapes of matter that otherwise wouldn't matter hmm? if there was no one to matter about them. So the Gita is very much dealing with the subjective side, with consciousness and seeking to plumb the depths of it, and, and it has a methodology to that. Hmm? It's a, obviously a subjective methodology, but it has a lot of objectivity to it. And um, when we speak about the word my... Hmm? then we, we, we come to look at that objectivity. So let's think about it for a minute. Let me, let me cite the verse here of the, first, the very first text. Dhritarashtra um, Uvacha. He says, Dharma Chetra Kurukshetra Samaveto Yutsava Mamaka Pandavaschaiva Kimakurvata Sanjaya We're introduced to the setting of the Gita. There is a king his name was Dhritarashtra, and he was blind. Hmm? And he was to be the heir to the throne, but because he was blind, then there was some problem with that. So he wanted that his eldest son would become the heir to the throne. But as it turned out, his, um, what would it be? Um, hmm? Nephew hmm? was to be to the heir, the heir by a certain arrangement. And his uh, son was uh, not happy with that. Hmm? And so while there were many attempts to try to um, deal with the problem um, um, by, I want to say, diplomacy, hmm? they all fell short and we are on the verge of a great um, war as the Bhagavad Gita ensues. It's one chapter of the, the epic Mahabharat, the longest epic in human um, literature. Hmm? And it's a, it's a beautiful epic full of romance and military and political intrigue and, and whatnot, all with lessons of, of how, how to be a righteous, dharmically uh, sensible uh, and correct person and so forth. Very much about religious life and the Gita begins just as this war is about to take place. So the author, the legendary author Vyas, has the reader on the edge of their seat. 
at this point. Full attention he's got uh, uh, of his audience and this conversation takes place and the conversation is about that which transcends even religion hmm? and the difference between the self and, and, and the body and, and, uh, and so forth. Very artful the way the book has, uh, has been uh, composed. Hmm? And uh, so, there is, this is the first chapter introduces the setting and then it goes into the philosophy, but we'll see the philosophy is very much present in even his, the description of the setting. So the blind king is asking the mystic, Sanjaya, who could see um, in his heart the goings-on as the battle was about to take place from a distance. Hmm? And so the king asked Sanjay, he says, to cut to the chase here, as uh, with, with regard to the, 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 the subject of our talk tonight, he says, Mama Kapandabas Chaiva. Mama, Mama means my. Hmm? So he says, Mama Kapandabas Chaiva. What did my sons, um, my, my son, who he wanted to be the heir to the kingdom, and the sons, of uh, 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 of Pandu, of his brother, hmm? what what's going on between them? It's about the battle's about to take place, and what what's tell me? Uh, he's on the edge of his seat too. So the word it seems simple enough. It's just a description of the history of of the event, um, spiritual history, if you will, kind of a uh, based on a true event. Hmm? Indian history is very interesting, the way it's, it's been uh, collected. It's more of an effort to bring people into the experience of a spiritually significant event that occurred without much concern for all of the historicity of the, actu- the accurate uh, accuracy of the facts and so forth. It's something like if I tell a story, but I want to convey to you some import from the story a true story, but I might change it a little bit just to make the point that the story best illustrates that it will help you. So we find different descriptions in ancient in history of same events even with different details and whatnot, but the implication of that is uh, that they were, the, the, the historical, if you will, emphasis was on the, the power, the essence, the feeling of the event and to transport you into the implications of it and whatnot, that you might benefit from that, incorporate that into your life and grow yourself spiritually thereby. Hmm? So, anyway, he says, what did my son and the sons of Pandu do? Hmm? So the word my is introduced here and this is the whole problem. This is why the war is going on because there's my sons and then there's your sons. Hmm? So, <laughs> so as much as we think something is mine is as much as we think something is not mine. Hmm? And so we've created a, 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 a significant uh, division. Hmm? Um, love, if you will, materially speaking, that's much derived from the necessities that we have, born from our mind's demands and our sense's demands. Hmm? We interact with things and with people on the basis of, of how we are being driven by our sensual demands and our mind's demands, hmm? for the most part. Where is the free will in all of this? 
It's only, we are a unit of will, no doubt, but it's almost lost. As we turn ourselves over to, to the natural world, then our reality as consciousness in a, in a, with will and so forth is 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 practically uh, is obsc- almost obscured we become it's just like if you turn it talk, takes a viewer to turn on the television who's more important than the television or the viewer obviously the viewer but sometimes the television takes over the viewer hmm? and you end up with a what, couch potato instead of a, you know all that that husband of yours could have been if you would, uh, <laughs> something like that uh, so, uh, so this, in a way, is our uh, predicament, a unit of consciousness that matters about matter. Hmm? Would, would matter matter independently of matter, or of consciousness, I should say? Who would know about it? Who would care? So consciousness is infinitely more uh, uh, important, in a sense, but when it invests itself, in, when it turns on matter, if you will, turns it on, this show that comes on hmm, has a little bit of a glare and a glitter to it. Hmm? And the glitter and the glare is in a sense that, that you could be fulfilled by pursuing this, this, uh, this dream, this virtual reality. Hmm? And the world is vast. There seem to be many possibilities. I mean, Columbus crossed the ocean. Look what he found. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, so many possibilities in, in the world. Uh, now we find that there are so many galaxies even and so many, and they say there are so many planets that are Earth-like and it might uh, perk your interest in the prospects of looking further into matter. But for what? What are we looking for? Hmm? I think we're looking for for love. That's a, probably hard to argue with. Most people would would uh, agree with that. For happiness, and we find that happiness is is uh, something that uh, is reciprocal. Love is kind of a, if we were to gauge it, it would be the measure to which it constituted reciprocal dealings with another. Mm-hmm. When, you can, when he can understand you, mm-hmm. when she can understand you, when you and I are in love, then you're there, I'm there, but I take your heart for mine and you take my heart for yours. Mm-hmm. Take it. Mm-hmm. This is very beautiful. Of course, it's not really possible, materially speaking, there, there are limitations, but we, but we, this is what we're pursuing, nonetheless. It's not possible, no matter how big the world is, no matter how many planets there are, and how many places there are to go, how many rocks there are to overturn and look underneath. Hmm? It's not possible because what's looking for that is consciousness, hmm? and what it's looking in for it is matter. Hmm? And matter in all its forms and shapes is, as we know, here today and gone tomorrow. So there's a carrot, if you will, that material nature waves before us, that full 
satisfaction is just around the corner. Just acquire a few more things. Hmm? Get rid of a few things <laughs> and acquire a few others, whether they be things, they be partners, people. And there is some scope for acquiring things and there is some scope, obviously, for relationships and so forth. Hmm? But to think that, that any type of arrangement of acquisition, any measure of acquisition, or for that matter, any relationship hmm, that is driven by a material egoic sense of self, a self that's dictated by the demands of the mind and the senses, a self, let me put it like this, that is constructed on the basis of a sense of my. You think about it. Hmm? Are you North Carolinan? Uh, not originally, no. But do you consider yourself such now? Yeah, yeah you're a North Carolinan. Are you? Yeah. What are you? Oh, well, you give the wrong answer. <laughs> you say that, but you don't act like that. <laughs> you get my point. So the point is, <laughs> anyway, to play it out further, we think we're Californian. We think we're a woman. Uh, this is my body. This is my nation, my town, my city, my family, my house, my car. Hmm? And, um, and all of those mys, as we, as we add them up, they form an I. Hmm? Think about it. That's what forms this I. Hmm? Huh? I am Californian, I am a woman, I am a wife, I am a daughter. I'm a husband, I'm a, a carpenter, I'm, because it's my trade, and, and so on and so forth. So this my and its attachment to things, hmm, this forms an identity. Now, how real is that identity? How real is that I? It is as real as anything is really ours. And, you know, we live here... Well, I live in the western part of the state, mostly when I'm here, as I mentioned. And there we are in the foothills, you know, beautiful western North Carolina, of the Appalachian Mountains, which are the oldest mountains, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the Americas, I think, at least in North America. So their, their age um, lends to some kind of credibility. They've been around a long time. We think, they must know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What they know for sure hmm, is that many people have come and laid their claim on the lands that, uh, that they grow out of, if you will. Hmm? And it's, they're a little bit, bit uh, humored by the whole affair. Hmm? Of the, uh, the, the, you know, you got your deed, it's yours, uh, and so forth. Um, and we can say it belongs to the Native Americans, but it doesn't even belong to them. We want to go even beyond that. Hmm? 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 It doesn't. It, 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 there's a nice verse in Bhagavat, the sequel to the Gita, Ayurharati Vaipumsam Uddhanastam Jayanaso. As I said, that these kind of topics, consciousness, its nature, and so forth, would best be talked about in poetry. So it says, Ayurharati Vaipumsam, the Ayur, the life. Harati, Pumsam. Pumsam means 
living beings. The, the life of all living beings, harati, harati, means takes away. The life of all living beings, ayur harati vaipum sam ujjanastan chayanaso. Ujjanastan chayanaso means the rising and setting of the sun. Hmm? It's a beautiful thing. Hmm? Sun, you know, been to the sunrise and the sunset, watch them. The sun, it says poetically, the sun rises like a, in a chariot across the sky and sets on the other side. And it's very beautiful and it's killing you. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's beautiful in a very profound way if we look very carefully at it. Hmm? It's rising and setting and you, as you know yourself, American, Latin American, North American, uh, Indian, whatever may be the case, that sense of self, which is all based on a mind-driven, sense-driven attachment to objects of senses, to forms, to taste, to smells, um, to uh, tactile experiences, and so forth, uh, it's all forming this egoic sense of self and the sun, I mean, what could speak more loudly to us hmm? if we were to pay attention? And this is how the rishis, the, the yogins, they, they experienced it. They saw the sunrise. Hmm? They didn't need to uh, augment it like we used to do years ago. Um, that's a long time ago. Um, can make it more beautiful and so forth. This was in the 60s. Um, but <laughs> they... I've been there and done that too. So they, they, they didn't need that and, and, and they got something more out of it. They got a, a very sensible and profound message. It, it very beautifully, nature spoke to them and said, said Nothing is yours. Hmm? In the you, the I, that's based on the sense that something is, that is false. That, that should be deconstructed. Hmm? Someone will say, Swami, you talked about science earlier, and really, the sun doesn't really go across the sky. It's the earth that's moving around like this. So your verse is wrong. And we say, no, no, you're dying. <laughs> that's what it's saying. Hmm? <laughs> Again, through this language is that we're not trying to accurately describe every detail of how material nature works. We're not interested in pursuing matter in great detail. We're interested in pursuing consciousness in great detail. And we don't think that matter, that consciousness is emergent from matter, that it arises out of matter. Hmm? We don't think that. Neither do we. Neither is that a reasonable um, um, uh, conjecture. That is a conjecture based on a very heavy investment hmm, in the idea that nature um, can be. It's funny because nature's secrets can be unlocked, hmm, and that and, and we'll master nature and so forth. When the real secret of nature is you. You are the secret of nature, that the nature has a soul. Hmm? And it can be uncovered, not uncovered, this secret revealed, not by trying to conquer nature, so to speak, 
for the purposes of my mind and my sense-driven egoic identity. That's not a nice identity. And I know you're all nice people, but it's relative how nice we can be as much as we are by force of this my-based identity, a taker. In other words, we're attaching ownership to things that we don't own. That's not very nice. Hmm? Uh, there's a little meanness to that. Hmm? And the environment responds to that. When you, when you take from the environment, the environment wants to be paid back. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. This is the whole principle of karma. We've taken from the world, we've hunted, and that's to look ahead. And then we look back and we find we are being hunted. The seeds you sow, and that will determine the fruits that you reap. Hmm? And if you, or your identity is based on taking and false proprietorship, the self that arises out of that should be arrested, hmm? should be incarcerated. Hmm? And nature makes sure that we remain incarcerated. That is what we call reincarnation, hmm? samsara. Hmm? Hmm? Birth and death, start and, 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 and with nothing again and again. This is and this is vast. Hmm? How to come out of that that cycle? Hmm? This is huge, and we become so in, uh, entangled in that that, practically speaking, what we actually are. This is an important point. While I'm deconstructing this, in a sense, this false self. Hmm? Well, then you think, well, what's left? <laughs> You've deconstructed the self, what's left? Hmm? It's only in a rudimentary way in spiritual circles that we say no self is a conclusion. Think about it. Hmm? You are a unit, we are units of existence, experiential existence. We are all units of experiential existence. We experience, for example, matter, as I said, and give meaning to it, animate it. We have no experience of not experiencing. One of the big questions in modern science is, at the top of the list, that hasn't been answered, it's phrased like this, what is the biological basis of consciousness? The problem with this question is that there's a bias in the question. The question should be, is there a biological basis to consciousness? Not what is the bio, what is the biological? That means you've already pre-concluded, concluded. That's not scientific. That is not objective. Hmm? You've concluded consciousness must be a part of the natural world. It must be constrained ultimately by time and space. Hmm? It must be something that evolves biologically for necessity. But that's a big problem for modern science. What is the necessity of experience in order to, like the experience that, that, that is relative to consciousness for survival? There is no, it gets in the way. Hmm? You think, do I exist? Why do I exist? How can you struggle to exist? Hmm? You understand? It, it, and it's such an important thing. So we can try to dismiss it, kind of put it to the side. It, it, it's not. It's not really something that is vital from a biological evolutionary point of view. 
It's not vital. Hmm? But without it, we wouldn't be having this conversation either. It's pretty vital. Hmm? But if it doesn't fit from a Darwinian perspective, an evolutionary perspective, a naturalist, physicalist, materialist perspective, hmm? and we want to kind of edge it out or make less of it or something like it's difficult to make less of it, isn't it? Hmm? The Gita says, it's what you are. Hmm? Without which, you have no meaning. Hmm? It is the meaning giver. Hmm? It is the measurer. Difficult to measure. Because it's difficult to measure, it does not make it anything less. It makes it more. Hmm? If you cannot measure it, means you cannot reduce it to matter. Why you cannot measure it? Why you cannot even define it accurately? Every definition of consciousness is circular. Hmm? Why you can't define it? Because there's nothing like it to compare it with, and that's how we make definitions. Hmm? Because matter has no experience. We are a unit of experiencing. Hmm? Out of non-experience, experience will not come. It doesn't matter that the brain is very sophisticated compared to a billiard table. Hmm? Of, of billiard balls bouncing hmm? and inside the brain there are other things that are bouncing they're made of the same stuff as the pool balls and the table and the stick hmm? it doesn't matter how sophisticated they are hmm? they won't generate consciousness they don't the pool balls are not going to start saying ouch <laughs> don't put me in that hole hmm? put a little chalk on the stick next time something like this we laugh Hmm? And we should. Hmm? This is how ludicrous, really, is the idea that consciousness comes out of the brain. The brain is absolutely matter. Hmm? And that's why the search for consciousness within matter is very difficult to find. And the fact that it has no biological purpose, the fact that it's difficult to define, as I say, means... That that means it's more. It's more than matter. It cannot be reduced to matter. If it cannot be reduced to matter, that means what? That it's not limited by time and space, like all material things. That means it's eternal. It never began, and it will never end. And we are of that nature. We are of that stuff. Hmm? This is this is this is of course yoga philosophy, this is Vedanta. Hmm? And this is the common sense feeling of everybody. We don't always think it out in such detail, but we think, I think something, then I do something, hmm? and there's somebody in there. What I'm saying to you, of course, is there is somebody in there that's false. That consciousness that is you has invested itself in matter, turned on the show hmm, of material nature, and the glitter of it, the prospect of it, to chase after things hmm, has come before us. We've taken the bait. An identity is formed on the basis of that. Hmm. We're driven by that identity, but that identity hmm, is only the force of the natural world, and I'm of the supernatural world. Hmm. And that's important. I'm of the supernatural world. So this ego that I'm talking about based on my 
that should die, that should be that should be killed hmm? that should be deconstructed but when we do hmm, the reason is in some spiritual circles you will tell this story to one extent or another and say there's no self there's no self hmm? is because if I start to say to you there's no self and then I say but there is a self and in another way it gets a little confusing but I'm going to go that far for you and we have to given that here I coming in a bhakti tradition a tradition of love hmm? rather than of knowledge knowledge of the difference between matter and consciousness for example that's huge if you if you knew it if you understood it realized it if that means to say if you realize the extent to which you exist that would be the end of all fear, hmm? all anxiety, all necessity to do, to act, to, all, to, 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 to get pleasure, to get power, to be virtuous. You would find I am virtuous by nature. Hmm? I am, look at my power. I cannot, I'm indestructible. Hmm? What is my capacity for pleasure? I'm a unit of ananda, satchit, ananda, a unit of this. A unit of, of being, knowing, and loving capacity. There we've defined consciousness kind of. Hmm? It's not this, and it's not that. The Upanishads say, neti, neti. It's not this, it's not that. There's nothing like it. Hmm? Hmm? But what it is, a unit of being, knowing, and loving capacity. And when we, let's talk about the loving, well, let's talk about the being aspect of it. I'm saying to you that while there's a false sense of self that won't be at some point, hmm, that's living on death row at the moment, hmm, hmm, that will die. But that is a construct. Hmm? And what is it constructed of? On the basis of consciousness, over-identifying with matter, turning matter on, turning the TV on, and then having it overwhelm them. Hmm? Consciousness is producing the false identity in relation to matter. Hmm? And consciousness must uproot that, but in doing so, it still exists. You understand? Hmm? So you remain... Hmm? There's William James, famous uh, philosopher of time gone by, and uh, he, he had the idea, it's a similar idea, that there's a me and there's an I. Hmm? So there's a me means that egoic sense of self, and then there's an I. Hmm? And the I is a unit of being that, in contrast to that egoic sense of self, endures. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. As I said, it, it's not limited by time and space. It's not a biological product. So uh, the biological organism will die, but it has nothing to do with it. Hmm? This is the idea. Hmm? Religions talk about it in a less sophisticated way sometimes. See, we kind of get to the heart of that, as I said earlier. Student of being we are. The difference between ourselves as a unit of consciousness and this virtual reality of an identity based on my identification with matter in one sense is it's enduring that ego self you won't be a Californian or North Carolina maybe in your next life hmm? even in this life that changes right? Hmm? as we know you've told us 
You're not from North Carolina. So, so, so being, what about knowing? Hmm? What is our egoic sense of self? What is the measure of our knowing? We would rather say the measure of our no- unknowing is great. <laughs> the measure of our knowing is rather limited. Hmm? Hmm? What is our measure of, of loving is also limited. Hmm? Because, as I mentioned, that egoic sense of self, pursuing loving, is, is a taker to begin with. So everyone knows that if, you're, if you really have to have a relationship, worst thing to pursue a relationship on the basis of that. The more you have to have it, the more you're setting yourself up for, for a problem. Hmm? So the more we're driven by the demands of our mind and our senses for something, some acquisition, be it a partner, a relationship, or a thing, and so forth. Hmm? The less there's any really loving going on in there. Hmm? So this egoic sense of self is not a good lover. He's a taker. He's a taker from beginning to end. And we can, we can minimize that taking to one extent or another, try to be politically correct and environmentally correct and psychologically uh, balanced and so on and so forth. And we can even talk about we should love everybody and have universal compassion and so forth. But to turn the other cheek, it's not always so easy. Hmm? Is it? Hmm? No. You have to go to a place and experience the fact hmm, of your the common ground hmm, where this my is transcended, the common ground between one another. Tillich said it, the ground of being. Hmm, is a nice phrase. You have to go to the ground of being. You have to stand on the ground of being hmm, where there's no my hmm, in the beginning. There's no my there. There's no my toward in relation to material things. I've thrown you for a loop there. I will go to that. Well, there's a my there also. Yes, there's a my there. But first we stop. There's no my there. Hmm? The yogin, the Gita says, who's mature, sees the sufferings of others as if they are his own. Hmm? I heard... Um, What is his name? A philosopher, materialistic philosopher, um, well-known fellow. Anyway, I forget his name. Forgive me. He asked the question. He said, "You know, um, this meditation stuff. Uh, you know, maybe it has some value. Uh, you know, but I don't know what it is." So a guy goes and lives in a cave for t- ten years, and you know, he has some inner experience and so forth, but. What, what value is that to this, you know, practically speaking? I just don't get it, he said. Even if, I'm sure what he experienced is just material anyway, but people like to think it's different. They posit all these metaphysical truths based on their experience and so forth. Surely that there's nothing but matter. I'm a physicalist, you know, dyed in the wool and, 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 and so forth. Um, but, yeah, they get some experience. But what's the value of the experience? And the answer that comes, of course, is, oh, they in the in the on the very on the bottom the bottom rung hmm, 
This is how big it is. The, the bottom rung of that experience is universal compassion. Hmm? I mean, and uh, actually being able to, as they say in the, in the Christian uh, world, to turn the other cheek, so to speak. Hmm? To see your enemy as your friend. Oh, he's teaching me how not to be. Thank you. Oh, I love you. So you're my kind teacher. You've acted in such a way, and it's so much well, so well, beautifully illustrated. I, let me, can I, how can I put you on my altar? Hmm? To feel like this, to experience like this. Hmm? I mean, who would argue that world peace was a good thing? That loving all beings was a good idea? Hmm? This is the baseline of the, of the genuine yogic spiritual experience. Hmm? Standing, actually standing on the ground of being and seeing that, that we are all, we, not only do we stand on that ground of being, we're made of the ground of being. Hmm? This has great value. You may say, well, I don't know, you know, we can't verify what his experience is. So he says his experience is, is such and such and such and such, that he, he, he met with God, he, he realized that he lived beyond the, the body and the mind, he never died and so forth. We can't verify that. So I don't want to believe in all those things, but okay, fine, don't. But, but can you believe that he's a lover? She's become a lover. Hmm? And they open themselves, such sadhus, saintly persons, to be examined. It's an open book life. Hmm? Examine, see for yourself. Hmm? You test them. And these, are, these people, through the history of human society, the Jesuses, the Buddhas, the Chaitanyas, hmm? and so forth, the Shankars, what, they have, what, what kind of impression they've made in the human society. It will never go away. Such deep experiencers who stood on the ground of being, hmm? who let go of my, who completely just let go of that, hmm? and found firm ground to stand. And we think, I let go, but <laughs> where, will I, where will I go? What will I be? Hmm? This is the dilemma that Arjun finds in the Gita here. He speaks... When the story starts to be told, hmm, and it becomes apparent that the battle has to take place, hmm, Arjuna says, I don't know if I want to fight this battle. Krishna, take me on the chariot, and let's see who's assembled here to fight. And so Krishna says, well, here you are. And he stops him right in front of the two people that Arjuna is most attached to, that his identity is most based on, his military teacher, because he's a warrior, hmm, and his grandfather who, who raised him like a father. And they were on the opposite side by circumstance. Hmm? So Krishna parks the chariot right next to them. He said, these are the people you have to fight with. He says, I can't do that. He says, if I was to kill them, I'd be killing myself. Because my whole identity is based on, he's my teacher, he, he's my, my father. Um, take away your father, take away your mother. Take away your kids, take away your house. Hmm? Take away your income. You say, well, what's left? Uh, I've I might as well die. I'm dead. Hmm? This is my existence. Hmm? But a person who has, done, has let go of all those things, it continues to exist hmm? and loves. Hmm? What more evidence do you need? Hmm? These people, such people, they're desirable. Their company is desirable. 
We may not be able to verify what they say their experience is without, that is to say, going there, which is what their example compels us to do. You should go there. Hmm? They stand. They have killed themselves. You see what I'm saying? They have already died. And they continue to live. And live as a lover. They've died. What is the meaning of your life? If I say, okay, you can live, but I'll take away your wife, <laughs> your husband, your kids, your house, your income, hmm? your passport, your voting. You can't vote. Okay. <laughs> you think, okay, well, it's better off. <laughs> Probably better off. So, and so on. You think, well, I might as well be dead. Yeah. This is all this I life based on my and my necessities and, and so on and so forth. These people, sadhus, the real yogin, for all intents and purposes, as we know it, has died to that kind of living. But he lives, she lives in a different way. They're in the world, but not of the world. Like a great lighthouse on the shore, they stand showing the way in the night. The world is dark, it's like the shadow. We are consciousness, but we are overwhelmed. But we're living in life in the shadows only. To come to the tamasi ma juti gamaha, mitya ma mamritam gamayo. It means go from the from the darkness. We should go to the light. Mitya ma mamritam gamayo, from mrityam from death to amritam, and amrit 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 mrit means death. Amrit means deathless, and it means nectar, like an immortal beverage, something like that. To go from deathlessness. From death to deathlessness. Hmm? This is a philosophical going, but more than a philosophical going. I wanted to say earlier, and I did, this is a subjective methodology, yoga, to plumb the depths of our subjectivity without much concern for the details of the, of the, of the natural world. Hmm? We're concerned with them enough to, as much as by such concern will facilitate my pursuit of the, of the, of, of the subjective world. Hmm? of the supernatural. What is supernatural? Humility, that is supernatural. In a world where one living being is food for another. Where survival of the fittest is the norm. Hmm? One can put down the weapons. Hmm? And be humble. Hmm? This is supernatural. Hmm? To go there. Hmm? This is, uh, this, is, this, is, this, this is the concern of the yogin. Hmm? And his method, her method, is a subjective methodology in much as it's pursuing the subjective side of life, consciousness, feeling, experience, experiential existence, and so forth. But there is objectivity to it. That's why I call it sometimes a subjective, an, an objective subjectivity. What, I'm, what is the objectivity of this? The objectivity to the methodology of real yoga is, well, what is objectivity? Objectivity derives from detachment. If a scientist has a bias and is paid by a certain sector, let's say he's paid by certain Republicans, he's going to say, I don't think there is global warming. Hmm? I, I, you know, there's a lot of evidence, and if he's paid by the other side, well, or maybe one of them's objectively true, I'm sure. Uh, but you get my point. Hmm? 
Ob science is to pride itself as it should in objectivity. If you're too close to a thing, you can't see it for what it is. Hmm? If I'm too attached to you, you know, then I can't step back and see you for what you are. Hmm? I may be attached to a person in a relationship and it may be terrible for me, but other people can say, this isn't working out, this isn't good for you, hmm? you should fly from that. Hmm? But you're attached, you can't see it. But as, if somehow you were to step back, you go, oh my God, that was what was going on. And, and, and So, my point is that detachment brings objectivity. Hmm? Objectivity and that detachment to go together. And when we say my, and we say to give up my, we're talking about detaching ourselves from things. Hmm? Some objectivity comes to bear. And it's not just something you do in a laboratory for eight hours a day and get paid for. It's something you do 24 hours a day. Hmm? And your theor in theory, you are trying to differentiate yourself from matter. So there's a going in in yoga. Hmm? And the objects of the senses that are always calling me, touch me, I feel good. Listen to me, I sound good. Taste me, I taste good to animate the world a bit. Hmm? The tomatoes go, pick me, taste me. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's how I see it anyway. So, uh, that, but to say, to, to withdraw the senses, hmm? not to eat to live, but not live to eat, I should say, but eat to live with some restraint. Hmm? To, to live to eat means that you're, 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 it's a tongue-based life. Hmm? A belly-based life. This is not even materially healthy. Hmm? Certainly it's not in your spiritual interest. The more you go out, so to speak, and you invest your experiential capacity in matter, hmm? the more you lose sight of all that you are. It's not that we see because we have eyes we can see. It's not that because we have ears we can hear. It's not that because we have a mind we can think. These things get in the way of our knowing, our seeing, our tasting, Self is the taster, the knower, the feeler, the experiencer. Hmm? So there some objectivity required. Therefore, for example, as I said earlier, yamniyama. We have some. You want to practice yoga? Well, you can you can do it as a hot yoga for an exercise and improve your sex life or get better shape or whatever. But you know, there's more to yoga than that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a great challenge. It's a huge challenge. It's a very courageous um, undertaking. Hmm? And it requires a great deal of objectivity. It requires, it, it is about becoming a lover, but a wise lover. Hmm? Hmm? Wise love, wise love. And the very kind of 101 of wise love is nothing belongs to me. Hmm? So, right, that my has to be deconstructed. That I, I should say, based on the my, has to be deconstructed. This is just the beginning, it's huge. It's huge. It's a huge task. The Gita is about many wonderful things. What are the possibilities that lie in, in the consciousness world? Hmm? What, what possibilities lie in the material world? We think they're vast and so forth. All that constitutes the self, asleep to itself, waking up the natural world and animating it. What if the self is awake to itself? What, are its, what, are its, what is its capacity? What is its potential? What is its possibility for experiencing? 
we experience in relation to matter, we get some semblance of an experience of the natural world, what possibilities lie in consciousness? But the point I'm making here, briefly, to get to all those things, you've got to get this down. Otherwise, this becomes an academic exercise to study the Gita or any such book. Hmm? So your intellect will deceive you. Hmm? So many things I'm saying tonight, they may be useful to you. Only as useful, really, as you, as you let them go inside and change you, change the course of your action. Hmm? So there's enough for intellectual entertainment. Hmm? If you get that from this, that's fine. But there's more being offered is the point. Hmm? Here I share my heart with you. I share my experience. I try to arrange it in a logical uh, arrangement of words and so forth. But what I try to share with you is something that words just cannot do justice to. Thought cannot do justice to. Hmm? Hmm. But you all are intellectuals, educated, or uh, what do they say, um, intelligent animals. Hmm? They say that human life is differentiated from the animal species because of, what are they saying, intelligence? Hmm? So we try to speak to your intelligence logically and so forth, only that if I could just capture it, then you could let everything go in without waiting. I don't know if I accept that or not. Maybe it's fair to do that. But if I could be successful, I arrest your intellect. Hmm? And all these feelings can come into your heart in such a way that you be compelled to, to change course or to accelerate the course. Hmm? They're all, you're all yogins. Accelerate the course that you're on. Hmm? Have some clarity as to, the, as to the ideal, as to the goal, some focus. After all, mind is presenting many possibilities. What you could do with your time. Hmm? And only one-mindedness will bring samadhi. Someone too much attached to things and just the plaything of their mind's demands. Bhogaishvarya, enjoying things, hmm? chasing the glitter of the world. To whatever extent, Gita says, this is, makes one mind many-branched and samadhona, vyavasyatmika buddhi, the one-mindedness hmm? that is required for samadhi that will never come. Hmm? Just unplug from that. There's one thing that is more important, and it's not a thing, but it's you. Things are not the best things in life. Hmm? It's you. Hmm? And you can know yourself. And now, what is the self? As I said, it's a unit of being, knowing, and most importantly, loving. It has a purpose. What is the purpose of loving? There's no purpose. Hmm? Loving is, knows no reason, hmm? right? Knows no reason. Hmm? Loving is, in the, is a movement out of fullness, not out of incompleteness. Materially we speak, speaking, we move out of incompleteness. We think, I'm incomplete, I need something. Let me add it to my life. And by doing that, I've taken and now I owe problem. This is the karmic implication. This puts us into negative numbers, speaking mathematically. Now we're in negative numbers. We thought we went somewhere. We borrowed money from the bank, but we read the fine print. We realized we owe, you know, you ever read those things? 
you just bought this house, we lent you, you know, $200,000, and when it's all over in 30 years, you will have paid 500000 for so, yeah, when, so something like that. Hmm? Our movement in material life is such that we become greater and greater in karmic debt. Hmm? Now, if we were to stop taking, we could come to zero. From negative numbers to zero, that zero has a positive connotation in relation to negative numbers. So this is the beginning then idea. We come to zero, no taking. <sighs> You're not a criminal anymore. You stop taking. You have compassion for all beings. Hmm? You're not taking. But not taking is not the full measure of loving either. Not taking does not constitute the full measure of loving. It's within loving. But loving involves a bias. Oh, now we're going backwards, it seems. We were giving up the bias of mine. Hmm? But when we come within consciousness, and we look deeply, we look, I'm a unit of being, I'm a unit of knowing, I'm a unit of loving, and the loving is the most important. I don't love to be, I should be to love. I should not love to exist. That would be the zero point. From negative numbers to zero, I exist. I don't die. That is huge. Nothing, I'm indestructible. Hmm? That's blissful to think about and to experience. It is a huge relief. Wow, I thought I had, you know, I thought I had cancer, I was going to die. You know, it's something like, ah, it's an aha, you know, moment. That's hmm? forever. And we think, that's, Swami, that's enough. If I could get there, uh, I think my life would be perfect. But Swami says tonight, there's more. Hmm? And if you, if you pursue the more, that, will, that zero position will come into place. There are positive numbers. There are negative numbers, a karmic inclination. There's a zero number where I feel we are all one. All one. There's no difference. Nobody to take from. Nowhere to go. I'm everywhere. Where can I go? So sit still. No longer chased by the mind, chased by the senses. Hmm? But how much loving is there? I say, Swami, you said it yourself. Universal compassion. Love for all beings. Yes, but I said also, there's only the beginning idea of love. Hmm? Hmm. What will you do if you love all beings? We go feed them all? Will you go open hospitals for the sick people? Or what will you do if you love them all? You'll sit there. You won't do anything. <laughs> That's what you do. You say, I love everyone. Hmm? I have no problem with anyone. I'm completely satisfied. Hmm? Nothing, nothing, nothing to bother me. Hmm? And I set an example that you could be like this. That's pretty nice. <laughs> you can't criticize a guy. Hmm? But it's not an active loving reality. It's a passive loving reality in, in which one loves to be, loves to exist. The ananda factor, aspect, element of, of that unit of consciousness that we are functions or expresses itself in this zero 
positive zero, if you will, platform, as loving to exist. I love this. I exist. This is incredible. Hmm? I mean, I'm putting it in just, you know, common language and so forth. But I love to exist. And I know, what is the knowing in that? I know that I can't die. I know that attachment to matter is an illusion. This is the constant, some of my knowing, a huge amount of knowing. It's much of what we've talked about. Hmm? And it's, it's, it's lovable. Hmm? But there's another side. We can go from zero to positive numbers. This is what bhakti is about. Bhakti, of course, is about love. And I come in a tradition of yoga of love. We all kind of agreed earlier that love was the goal of life. Everyone wants to love. But when you love, you, you, can't, you cannot sit still until you, you find your love. But when you find your love, what do you do then? Do you sit still? No, <laughs> you start moving again. It has an orbit of its own, so to speak. Hmm. We want to move from loving to exist to existing to love. This is the idea of bhakti. And what happens in that? How is that possible? Within consciousness, the subjective side, we've, we come in touch with a significant other. Wait a minute, we thought there was, there was nobody there. It was all one. There, was no, there were no others. Others are a problem. Hmm? I got rid of everybody else and everything's peaceful here now. You're going to bring somebody else in. Another opinion? No. It is, this, it is a, however, a consciousness other. Hmm? The others that we experience in material life that are problematic are creations of our mind. Hmm? The other. I think it's hot. You think it's cold. Hmm? Which is it? Hmm? I think it's happy. You think it's sad. You think it's good. I think it's bad. It's all mental. Hmm? We get impressions from the world through our senses and our mind makes determinations. Some called will be called, I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad. It's all forming my ego, hmm? my identity. Hmm? And I'm at odds with others. Others are problems. Unless they agree, their mind agrees with mine for a while. Hmm? We keep the heat on at the same you know, level or whatever. So now I've got away from all this problem, right? And now Swami, you want to talk about another. But no, a consciousness other. Hmm? What do we mean by that? I mean like this. We are consciousness, that's a fact. We are Satchitananda, but we are Satchitananda Anu. Very small. Why do I say that? Because although we're consciousness and infinitely more significant, if you will, than matter, the whole show, we turn it on, right? Like the viewer turns on the TV. Nonetheless, it has overwhelmed us. Problem. Let's take the sun. There's a sun and there's a cloud. Hmm? During a cloudy day, some rays of the sun still come through the cloud, right? You can still see. Hmm? But those rays are underneath the sun. Hmm? And they don't, they're not very bright. Hmm? They don't make the mind enlivened like the sun does. You know how the sun make, makes your mind enlivened? Hmm? They kind of make it mm, kind of depressed sometimes. Hmm? So those are rays of the sun. If I say to you, the ray of the sun is non-different than the sun, you will agree with me, right? The ray of the sun is non-different than the sun. It's both fire, light, so forth. But at the same time, there's a difference between the ray of the sun 
and the sun. Some rays of the sun, for example, could be underneath the cloud. And the sun, on the other hand, it will never be covered by the cloud. The sun produces the cloud. It will never be clouded. Hmm? You see, so our spirituality is not something that's created. It exists. Hmm? It is existence. We are a ray of that existence. If we can remove the cloud, hmm, we could see ourselves as a ray of the sun. Again, if I say to you, oh, the sun's in the room. Go in the other room, the sun's in there. We're talking about the rays of the sun. If the sun was there, it would be a problem. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? So in bhakti, we see that we are a ray of consciousness. Hmm? And our smallness, uh, in a sense, is, 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 is a predicament. Hmm? We find ourselves in this predicament. It's a long story, but in this predicament of being overwhelmed by matter. And we can come out. How do we come out from that? By good association, by sadhu sangha, by gatherings like this, we get some insight. How to come out? Hmm? That's coming from the other side. It's not coming from this side. It's coming from the other side. There's something on the other side. There's a source. Hmm? And there's a difference between the source and the ray of the sun and the sun. There's a, there's a, there's a beautiful difference, not a problematic difference, like we've cr the created differences in the material world. There's a beautiful difference. What is the beautiful difference? Enough difference for there to be love, which is a it, it was an exchange, which is, constitutes reciprocal dealings. Hmm? If you're going to be a giver, who are you going to give to? <laughs> uh, so there's a center. Hmm? And Krishna, this idea, means that center. The mystics have described the center as a lover. And you've seen the picture of Krishna. He just plays the flute, herds cows. and he, In Hinduism, you know, we have many gods and goddesses and so forth, and they have ten arms and five heads and weapons, and they, they mean something. You know, it's all symbolic. They... And Krishna's got nothing, no weapons. Hmm? He doesn't even have like a crown. He has just a peacock feather, and uh, he plays a flute. That's his weapon, a flute, hmm? like a pied pipe or something like. That. He's only playing. So you think you think he's the he's the source. This idea is const is what the source is. I mean, the source would be powerful and, hmm? Hmm. but. My point is, and I made it many times in other discussions, in order to play, you have to have power. In order to take a vacation, it means you have to have worked and have the power of money in the bank. Hmm? Otherwise, you can't play. So if one only plays, one has all power. Hmm? And the one who is, the, the depiction of the absolute as only playing, there are many different depictions of divinity, hmm? and they all have validity. Hmm? This particular picture of divinity that we speak about in Krishna Bhakti, Krishna, depicted as all playing, is depicting the all powerful. And what is beautiful about this is that what can control one another person the most? What has the most power to control someone? We could control someone physically by tying them up, right? for example. And we would know, if we were tied up, we would know we were being controlled by another person. It's obvious. But what if I controlled you mentally? 
by like psychological manipulation and so forth, and you might not know it. Maybe somebody else could see it, but you couldn't see it. More subtly, as I go from the physical to the mental. Now what if I controlled you by love? If I control you by love, that control is more comprehensive than tying you up. It's more comprehensive than mental kind of manipulation and, uh, and so forth. And, and at the same time that it's more comprehensive, it's not problematic. Who doesn't want to be controlled by love? Hmm? Indeed. If I control you by love, the implication is that you will love me. The implication of which is, I will be controlled by your love. Hmm? So to be controlled by love, that is not a problem. Hmm? So the idea of Krishna, uniting with Krishna in yoga, in Leela, is, you see, the more one, and the more one controls by love, the less they look like a controller. That's why Krishna has been not depicted as a controller with elements and powers, and he's not doing meditation to get power or anything. Hmm? No, he's picking clovers and saying about Radha, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She exemplifies bhakti to the fullest measure, love. Hmm? And he's controlled by that. Hmm? This is a very extraordinary idea of God. Hmm? Overwhelmed by love. Hmm? And this overwhelming by love enables the infinite and the finite to come very close to one another. Hmm? Because if you get close to the infinite, you think, oh my God, <laughs> that's big. I'm small. <laughs> and you go, you know, I'm going to move back a little bit. I'm, in, I'm next to God, the infinite. Hmm? So if therefore there be intimacy, the intimate has to take the infinite. The infinite has to take on a finite-like appearance. Hmm? But there might be intimacy of exchange and love. This is the idea of Krishna. This is what mystics in bhakti have experienced. Hmm? They've experienced themselves to be different from matter. They've, they've completely deconstructed the material ego, hmm? and they've developed kind of a bias for Krishna hmm? or for Ram. Hmm? Not I and different forms, faces of the divinity and consciousness. Not I and oh, he's worshipped this face of divinity in reverence. But Krishna is that face of divinity where the reverence is dropped hmm? for the sake of intimacy. Hmm? This is what the Gita tries to bring us to, but in order to really enter into the experience of that and all the implications of this, we have to get through these two little words of my. So I give the better uh, balance of the discussion on those two words, but I wanted to end it as I am, if you will, with some little idea of why it might be worth giving up Hmm? not only because you'll be free from the problems that the my creates, but because there's something positive there also. The prospect of love that we all seek, hmm? that we have the potential for, given the right environment, it can um, actually be experienced in the yoga, if you will, of bhakti. 
and very easy to do. Hmm? If we want to give up the false sense of my, then the easiest way is to identify to whom it actually does belong. Hmm? If you're troubled by trying to own things that don't belong to you, but you become the friend of the one who owns everything, then all your problems are solved. <laughs> so this way, in bhakti, we sing the name of Krishna, for example. Govinda jaya jaya, Gopal jaya jaya. It's very simple, very easy to do. What this is doing, however, is, is all these philosophical ideas are, and theological ideas are inside of this, this chanting. It's not just a sentiment. It's a wise kind of chanting and so forth. It's bringing into us into the center, hmm? if you will, to the owner, the proprietor, and on friendly terms. If you love someone, it said they'll tell you all their secrets. Hmm? And as you know, singing about someone you love, this is, this is how you express love and so forth. Hmm? To, to sing about that idea, to chant about that, hmm? it has great power to arrest the mind and deconstruct this sense of I in a very wonderful way because it enables us to remain in touch with things and people that we like. Because hmm? I was talking about giving all those things up. <laughs> That doesn't sound so palatable, but there's a good philosophy behind that. What I'm saying here, however, is that, well, let's take sound, I said. Sounds attract the ear. Smells capture our, our nose and forms capture our eyes and take us into the world and build an identity based on attachment to those things. But here, as you'll see, in Bhakti Yoga, we are employing sounds. Hmm? As these uh, gentlemen were, as we came in, chanting. They're employing music. And I think that uh, Bhakti Rasa, many of you know, has even cooked something in, 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 in a yogic context and so forth, hmm? in Bhakti. So that, such that there's eating, tasting. Hmm? You can eat, you can taste, you can hear, you can touch, in a way that will not only not implicate you in material life and a life of taking, but bring you out of that and cause you to develop attachment, well, to Krishna. You'll think, Krishna is mine. Hmm? My friend. This is my friend. And everything belongs to Krishna. And so I will use everything in the service of Krishna and I will guide my sadhaka's life, my practitioner's life by... By this is, is, is a very beautiful idea. There's much to it, and I, I don't want to go on a, 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 at length with this, but a way to be involved with the world hmm, and things without them taking over to my life. I could use my temper, but not lose my temper even in, in bhakti. So it's very, I want to say, uh, user-friendly way of overcoming the uh, and deconstructing this problematic I, and in the context of that, another I is formed, an identity is formed. As we become attached to bhakti itself, gradually we become attached to the object of bhakti, and an identity will form hmm, based on that attachment to a significant consciousness other, hmm, and one can enter into the play, if you will, of the absolute. This is the idea. Thank you very much. Any question? I know it's a lot. <laughs>
but but um, you think about it, try to feel it, and so forth. Um, it's very nice to be here with you all. Some other things that we have said, some ways of presenting these thoughts are very much relative to your being here and causing us to come up with analogies and whatnot and metaphors to explain these things. So I appreciate that. You're very much, I want to say, part of this whole uh, affair. And um, I'd like to continue my relationship with you. If you don't have any questions, it's pretty common after I speak, I find. (laughs) People don't have any questions. I guess that's good. They all agree. (laughs) So, again, thank you very much. Om Shanti. Hare Krishna.